So last week I was uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and much thanks to Eric Chabot and Jeff Rubenstein and Chris and others uh, who filled in for me in varieties of, of ways. And I gave a nice greeting at uh, Sha'are Shalom, of course, and to our good friends, uh, you know, Seth and Rachel Clayman and their family and, and all other important families in Raleigh. Uh, and uh, it, was, uh, it was wonderful. So uh, when I got up to speak, uh, I, I said, you know, I, I'm doing some teaching on, uh, on Chesed, and I'm teaching through the book of Acts. And the Torah portion is uh, a real unique, last week's portion, a very unique portion of the life of Isaac. You know, we don't hear much about the life of Isaac. So I said, I was torn. So, so what I said was, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to understand the chesed of God in the sending of Yeshua and, and all that takes place uh, in Acts chapter uh, 2 and 3 and, uh, and illustrated by the life of Isaac. Uh, it's because you can do whatever you need to do to get all those things together, right? Uh, and it all, uh, it all worked out, uh, you know, and uh, so we're going to go back here to the book of Acts uh, and look at, uh, continue our study here, and look at what happened after the Ruach was poured out. What, what happened after? And so we saw that, um, you know, first people were confused. Peter gives a speech. Uh, and uh, he identifies this as the beginning of the Olam Haba. This is the beginning of the restoration of Israel. This is what, you know, the psalmists talked about. Yeshua is the king. And, and then in chapter 3, we see another miracle. It's very, very symmetrical, these chapters. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 3, we see another miracle, not the pouring out of the Ruach and the you know, and the Galileans speaking and all those Jewish people from all over the place hearing the Galilean dialect in their own language. But now uh, Peter heals a lame man, right? And now, again, what's going on? What's happening? This is no small event uh, that's taking place. And so Peter explains it, explains it again. And this all takes place in one, over the course of a day and perhaps another day. Uh, and here now he explains once again that this is the work of Yeshua, the Messiah. Uh, and he's the Messianic king, and he is the prophet like Moses. Uh, he's the one who's promised by the prophets, and that's what we've been talking about. And one of the things that we said is that, uh, and we're going to see this now in chapter 4 also, uh, and, and that is that he continually reminds them, this Yeshua who you crucified. And it's important, the reason I want to repeat this and say it again about what's going on here is that oftentimes there's a perspective of these chapters, uh, I would say probably like 90% of the time, uh, in teaching on them that this is the birth of the church. And Israel kind of blew it, although Jewish people can come to know the Lord, but Israel, the Jewish people blew it. You crucified him, you crucified him. I, I, and, uh, uh, you know, but, he, but he's risen from the dead. And so what we're saying is that's not exactly the narrative here, that this is all good news. 
that this is the restoration of Israel. And when Peter keeps saying, the one whom you crucified, what he's saying is, he's saying, you know this, he calls him Yeshua the Nazarene, whom you crucified. He's saying, you know the one that, that died? The one that died is alive. That's what he's saying. He's not condemning them here. He's giving them good news. He's saying he is alive, you know? And, and if you remember, at the end of the speech in chapter 2, people are pierced to the heart. And remember what we said there? That it wasn't, Peter didn't give a speech and say, you filthy, ugly sinners. Well, not about the ugly, but anyway. You, you, you filthy, rotten sinners, you need to, uh, you know, you need to come around and repent. Uh, and, but he doesn't say that. So we ask the question, well, what were they pierced into the heart about? You know, uh, and we suggested there that they were pierced to the heart because they made this huge mistake that they crucified him, but he's really the Messiah. He's really the king. And the good news is their, uh, 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 their error, their mistake, their transgression, their sin did not thwart the plan of God and that Yeshua was raised from the dead. He's alive. And that is what they see. They are seeing the living Messiah who has poured out the Ruach. Uh, they see the living Messiah in the healing of the lame man. Yeshua is alive and he is at work. And that is what Peter is saying to them. In chapter 3, he said, you did this in ignorance. We've covered this. That's why I'm not reading the verses. You did this in ignorance. And the good news is when we talk about like the chesed, the loving kindness, the, the loyal love, the benevolence of God, is that even though they did this, they, and they did this in ignorance, it's not too late for them. It's not too late. They can still repent. And of course, in chapter 2, he says, this was actually was part of the plan of God, part of the predetermined plan of God, that this was supposed to play out this way, you know? And so it's not too late I'm telling you, even though you crucified him, even though you did this in ignorance, he's raised from the dead. He's doing these miraculous things. He is alive. This is the beginning of, of, of the refreshing times, looking forward to the restoration. Remember we said about that, that Peter answers the question of, well, where is he? You know, okay, he's alive. Where, where is he? We don't see him. And Peter says, he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the day will come when he will manifest himself again and there'll be the complete restoration, you know? And that answers the question, well, if, the, if this man was, this lame man was healed, why isn't everybody healed? Why isn't the whole world turned upside? Why are the Romans so? Because Yeshua is at the right hand of the Father. And if you remember in chapter one, remember what the apostles asked? Are you going to restore the kingdom now? And he says, basically, no, not yet. And only my father knows the exact time but you're going to receive the Ruach and you're going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the remotest part of the earth. And Peter understood this. And so he's explaining this to, the, uh, to these Jewish people. The audience is Jewish people in Jerusalem and he's giving them this good news. You can listen to the, those messages. And, and what we said was the way we can use Peter's speeches as a paradigm or a model of how to share this great message with our people because it is good news for Jewish people, you know? Uh, and that is what Peter is 
uh, is saying here. So now, this is good news for Jewish people. He's sharing the message in the most beautiful way. He's articulating that, that Yeshua is the messianic king, the one who our prophets uh, talked about, the one who uh, you know, is the prophet like Moses. This is not some newfangled Greek idea, Roman idea, not some esoteric idea. This is exactly what we've been waiting for. Well, you would expect then, you know, it does say thousands came to believe does say that. Yes, indeed, thousands came to believe. But you would think they would be just, uh, you know, Peter and John here would be hailed as, as like heroes now. Now that the truth has come out, that, that we were all wrong. And, uh, you know, just like we read in Isaiah 53 and, and elsewhere, right? So what happens? Well, let's see what happens in chapter 4. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Yeshua the resurrection of the dead. Okay, now it's important to understand who's who here, okay? Okay, so we see the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came upon and they were very upset because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Yeshua the resurrection of the dead. Well, we're not going to take the time to go there, but if you were to look in Acts chapter 23, you can read verses 6 to 8. Oh, okay. I hear the clamoring to read the passage. Okay? So in Acts chapter 23, in verses 6 to 8, we see what happens to Paul in the midst of the Sanhedrin. And he gives us, we, Luke gives us some great information here. So this is Paul, and he's in a, you know, he's in a pickle, so to speak. And he's going to, can you imagine being in the midst of the, you know, it's like the, the board of rabbis, you know, explain yourself, right? And so he's, so uh, if this was modern days, we would say, perceiving some to be reform and some to be orthodox, some to be reconstructionist, you know, something like that. So it says, but perceiving that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. By the way, he's, he's in the present tense. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, you know, before I was saved, I was a Pharisee, you know, but now I've been redeemed from that, right? He says, I am a Pharisee, son of Pharisees. Important information to learn about him. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. And as he said this, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. And it was, there was an uproar, and the Pharisees, you, we'll, we'll get to it eventually, someday, some week, some year, in chapter 23, and we'll see that the Pharisees were defending him now. Right? Because he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. And so the Sadducees don't believe this. And so may I suggest that what they're upset about is that they're preaching that this Yeshua was raised from the dead. And they don't believe that. And so it's just like today. They're saying, you can't be what you say you are. According to uh, where we're coming from, according to our tradition, says the Sadducees, you can't, he can't be alive because there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. But you see, they are demonstrating 
through these miraculous moments, through uh, the pouring out of the Ruach and everyone understanding the languages uh, and, and the healing of the layman. And, and what Peter is saying, it's not us. He is alive. And they're saying he can't be, but he is. He can't be, but he is. And this really ticked them off. Okay. All right. Then we see in verse three, and they laid hands on them and put them in jail. So here they give, Peter gave the perfect message, good news for Israel, and he's in jail for it. It just goes to show you that it's not about how eloquent, uh, you know, or did I say uh, the right thing? But what do we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12? All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. It's not like you might be. You will be, right? Because then as it is today, today as it was then, Yeshua is always a stumbling stone. And that's just the way it is. But Peter and John, they did not perceive themselves to be uh, uh, outside of the Jewish world. At the beginning of chapter 3, remember what we read? They were at the temple. You know, it was prayer time, even sacrifice time. We could, we could even look at that. Uh, and, and they were there. And so as Jews in the Jewish community, they were bold in their testimony. And many people believed, but the establishment, as we used to like to say, uh, did not appreciate that. And, so the, and that's how institutionally, that's how it still is but not on the ground. See, many people came to believe, but institutionally, they were not received. See, it hasn't changed a whole lot, okay? All right, uh, and now uh, we see here, so they're in jail until the next day, for it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000, the number of the people came to be about 5,000. I'll take it, right? That's, uh, that, that's a marvelous uh, thing. And it came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander. This John and Alexander, we don't know exactly who they were, but as it says, uh, they were of high priestly descent. So it's basically the Sanhedrin, but you'll notice who's named. Who's named are the leaders, and the Sadducees were the leaders. Okay, And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? And it is the healing of the man who was lame that they're talking about. Then Peter, filled with the Ruach, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. Again, I can't accentuate this enough, and I know I'm preaching to the choir at Beth Messiah, but he's talking to Jewish people in Jerusalem, okay? That by the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, the Nazarene, remember whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead? By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. So we already said the Sadducees, they didn't like that. He can't be raised from the, how could this be, right? So this really frustrated them. But the Pharisees, remember, they didn't like Yeshua because people were flocking to him 
and he was doing miracles. And now here they thought they got rid of him, and he's still doing it. And so it really bothered the Pharisees. We can't get, it's like, you know, the flypaper thing. We cannot get rid of this guy, right? He is raised from the dead. And so whether you were a Pharisee or you were a Sadducee, you were upset over this. One had to do with the fact that he's doing miracles, uh, and the people, the, the, you know, the uh, Amharats, the regular folk, uh, were, were coming to, to, to become followers, and the Sadducees couldn't stand it because they're talking about resurrection. So you can't win, so to speak. Okay? All right. And so then Peter gives this statement, and he doesn't beat around the bush. You know, he says, this man is, is healed and well, like he's standing, you know, because later on we see that he's there. Uh, Yeshua healed him. So we see here that whatever the miracle is that's taking place, the purpose of the miracle is to testify that Yeshua, the Messiah, is alive. That is a model. That is a paradigm. And Peter puts himself down. You know, it's not us. It's not us. And later we'll see Paul in the book of Acts. Paul does the same thing. In fact, what happens with Paul, people are actually starting to bow down to him, you know. He says, stop it. Wouldn't it be nice, you know, today if that wasn't happening, right? Uh, uh, that, that, uh, that people were not, you know, the stars of the show is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but, and wouldn't it be a great thing that if our community was upset with us because miracles were taking place? As opposed to uh, a, just a doctrinal concept. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, wouldn't it be great if, if our community, the Jewish community of Columbus, Ohio, was angry with us because we'll just say hundreds of people started coming and, uh, and, and believing in the Messiah. Wow, wouldn't that be great? You know, uh, we fall under the category more of the, like the kind of like what we are receiving is sort of like the Sadducees' uh, problem with them. We don't like what you're teaching. We don't like what you're saying, right? The Pharisees were more like, we don't like what you're doing, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, um, uh, and, and so Peter gives this great testimony. God raised him from the dead, and by this name, this man stands before you in good health. It's all about Yeshua. You notice another thing, and I know this is going to, I hope this doesn't derail anybody here, but you know that he's not talking a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. Do you notice that? Do you notice that? He doesn't say, the Holy Spirit healed him. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing this. The Holy Spirit. It's all about Yeshua. The role of the Ruach is to shed light on Yeshua. The role of the Ruach is to empower us to proclaim his name, Right? And demonstrate his power so that when people ask, it's all about the Messiah. Very interesting. Very different oftentimes than the preaching that we hear. But it's, isn't it fascinating to, to see that uh, in, these, uh, in these chapters? Okay. Uh, and so now in verse 11, uh, uh, he is going to now quote a text that Yeshua loved to quote. This is one of Yeshua's fa favorite passages. Uh, and it's really kind of interesting. It's in Psalm 118, right? And you're all familiar with it. It's part of the Hallel 
uh, section of the Psalms that we sing on holidays, right? He is the stone which the builders, which was rejected by you, the builders. That's interesting. He doesn't just say, reject, he doesn't just quote the passage. He's saying, rejected by you, the builders, <laughs> okay? Uh, but which became the very cornerstone, all right? So here, when he says this, when Yeshua quotes this uh, verse, he quotes it when he tells a parable. And it's the parable uh, of the vineyard, right? Where God owns the vineyard and, and uh, you know, and the, the, uh, the Jewish leaders are the tenders of the vineyard. Uh, and, and the vineyard, uh, uh, he, he sends uh, workers to the vineyard, he sends people to the vineyard, and they kill all of the people that come to the vineyard. And then uh, the owner of the vineyard says, I'll send my son. They won't do anything to him. Uh, and they say, oh, he's the heir. And then they kill him, right? Uh, and then Yeshua says that, you see, this is, uh, uh, this is about me. And then he quotes this, uh, this passage. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And so it becomes clear that he's identifying himself as the, uh, as the stone which the builders uh, rejected. And so now uh, Peter is saying, he is, you rejected him, but he is the cornerstone. He is alive. And, but you have to get the heart of Peter here. He's not saying this to condemn them. He's saying this to correct them so that now it's, they will repent and believe and understand. And then in verse 12, he says this. He says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, for uh, many of us, we read verse 12 and we say, well, there's, you know, sort of like meat and potatoes there. There's a salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven. It's interesting on two levels, that verse. One is that he refers to this as salvation. He's talking about the healing of this lame man. It's what they're thinking about. It's, what, it's what's on their mind. It's the subject. And he refers to it as salvation, okay? And the other uh, very important part is when he says there's no other name. We're, we're so used to it, we pass by it. But this is, this is very dramatic in what he's saying and when he says it and to whom he is saying it. Okay? So first, he refers to it as salvation. I'll, I'll be real quick here. And, and, and as uh, we all know, there's, there's always next week. Right, okay, but I will just say a, a word on this. When he is referring to salvation, he's referring to salvation as the Jewish people in that day would have understood it and how what salvation has always referred to. Let me suggest to us that when we say, you know, are you saved? You know, uh, do you have salvation? We often think of it as, did you say the prayer so that when you die, you'll go to heaven, Right? That is a very reduced, watered-down understanding of salvation, okay? When, when we read about salvation in the Bible, uh, and it's, it's too big for a message, so I'm just going to say it. When we read about salvation in the Bible, it is a holistic salvation. 
It is a salvation of body, land, relationship with God, the whole world, you know, all of it. Uh, when we read about salvation in the Tanakh, for example, and remember that there was no such thing as a New Testament at this time, the Bible was the Tanakh, right? How did people understand salvation? It was that, you know, Israel's going to come from the four corners of the earth. The land is going to be restored. Uh, the wolf is going to lay down with the lamb. Ancient enemies will be at peace. There will be no more sickness. There'll be no more wars, no more tears, no more, none of it. Uh, and it's a one big thing. Uh, it was never understood simply as this spiritual idea as opposed to a temporal idea, you know, uh, or a, um, uh, that, that it didn't include uh, some kind of physicality. It, it very much did. And here, Peter is referring to the healing of this lame man in the context of salvation. So when we, what Peter is saying, when he uses that word, he's talking about the whole ball of wax. He's talking about this lame man is representative of the beginning of the, of the end. And salvation means being redeemed. It means being, um, it means uh, being, um, uh, 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 rescued means being delivered, right? Uh, and, uh, and so he's saying that this man who was, who was lame and who has been healed is representative, like a little look into what the olam haba, you know, uh, is. And so when we read about, you know, my favorite passage on this is Colossians chapter 1 in verse 13 where it says, for he delivered us, he saved us. You want to know what salvation is? Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And so he has redeemed us from the domain of darkness. And, and you can read lots of passages on this. He has redeemed us. He has saved us from the futility of this life. And now we live in an unseen real realm called the kingdom of his beloved son. And there is victory here. There is the, um, it means a lot of things. It means the forgiveness of our sins. It means we've been redeemed. Uh, it means also we're part of what God is doing in this world. It doesn't necessarily mean that I will have no sadness. It doesn't necessarily mean that I will uh, live uh, in my life forever because so far everyone has passed away, you know? Uh, and, uh, and we read about how the outer man is decaying, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Paul later on understood this. But yet, at the very same time, it is the presence of the future. When we're talking about salvation, you know how we read in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That the end of our salvation is the, res is the new heaven and new earth and the resurrection of the dead. When we come to know Messiah, we begin this journey of salvation, yes, we have salvation. It means that God desires 
in our lives to do a work in our life. He gives us the Ruach HaKodesh. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can now be new creatures in Messiah. What is old has passed away, but we still live in this world. And we'll talk more about that, I think, next, next time. But it is interesting he uses that word. And so let me just say this, uh, that if you put this all together and everything Peter is saying in these three speeches, he's saying that no matter who we are, it's not too late. It's never too late to change. It's never too late to repent. It's never too late to begin anew with the Lord, you know? Regardless of, sometimes we get kind of hung up on, well, I said the prayer, am I saved, am I? And now I, I sinned worse after I became a believer. Now is there no hope at all for me? I don't know. You know, don't worry about that. Just recognize that it's never too late to turn to God, to walk with him, and, and, and to have victory in your life and, and to navigate the difficulties of this life in him because he is indeed alive and he lives in you. I know that uh, we usually use the terminology and it's biblical terminology that, uh, you know, we have the Ruach, we have the Holy Spirit. Yes, we do. We're empowered by him so that Yeshua can live out our lives. As Paul says, I have been crucified with Messiah. And it is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That's how he understands his life. To live as Messiah, to die is gain. He says it a different way, right? He, he is completely uh, uh, amalgamated in Yeshua, even though he suffers greatly, you know? Uh, and he understands that this is the beginning of his salvation. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, it's a marvelous thing. So when we talk about our salvation, let me just, I'll finish here. I wanted to uh, say something about the only name, but we'll save that for next time. Uh, uh, that it comes from Isaiah 43. You can read Isaiah 43. Okay. Uh, but that um, this issue of, of, uh, of salvation, that it is, uh, again, it is not too late uh, and that uh, God desires for us to recognize that he is at work in our life now, and it's not just about what happens when I die. We're not saved just to go to heaven when we die. We're saved to a new life now, and God desires to, to, uh, uh, you know, to change us, to transform us, so that we're not just uh, simply rehabilitating the domain of darkness, but that we are really living in the kingdom of his beloved son. And that is indeed good news. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, thank you for uh, this great word. Lord, I just pray uh, for all of us, God, that we would not be discouraged, but that we would know, just as Peter has, has preached here, that Yeshua is alive no matter what we may have fought in the past about you or about ourselves, you are alive and living in us, Lord. And may we know that. May we live that out in our lives and make a difference, not only in our own lives, but our family's lives and, and, and our community's lives and, and never be discouraged. 
Because it's never too late. It's never, we're never too old. Or we've never sinned too much for you to say, come, repent, return to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. May we receive, yes, indeed, your, may we be rescued from whatever it is we need rescuing from. And may we understand that that is all part of our salvation in Yeshua. Perhaps we need to be rescued from addictions or we need to be rescued uh, from uh, terrible temptations and sinful activity that maybe nobody knows about but ourselves. Uh, Maybe we need to be rescued from pain and suffering and disease. Lord, uh, may you have your way with us, Lord. And uh, God, may we see people being rescued and delivered in their lives and may it indeed be a testimony to our community that might get riled up about it but may we see then people coming to receive you we pray in messiah's name